Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, with your host, Rob Snowett. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 1, Episode 44, The Salmon River of New York State. First, I want to start off with giving a shout out to my wife for letting me take off several days to go on this fishing trip. Thank you to the wife, who probably will never listen to this, so she won't know she's getting a shout out. I would also like to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Chaco USA, makers of the best flip-flop ever. The only thing I wear from April through October is the Chaco Flip. I have one pair to wear in the water when wet wading and one pair to wear to nicer events. I would highly suggest you get a pair and put them on. They are machine washable. You can restrap them. You can resole them. They are also fully arched and you can stand in them all day so if you don't have the choco flips go out and get a pair now and please to be checking out proguidedirect.com for choco products that i endorse all right let's get on with this podcast so i put together a crack team of anglers mostly local from this area uh, i guess you could say they're all members of the title potomac fly rotters some work in the fishing business some uh, have been former clients of mine Basically, just some hardcore anglers that I wanted to join me on my annual pilgrimage to the Salmon River in New York for some steelhead fly fishing. I got Trent Jones and Dalton Terrell. I got Khalil Miner. I got Rebecca Davenport to go up. I did not get Miles Towns from Orvis because the fishing manager for his store decided to go to the Caribbean for a month and left Miles in charge of the fly shop. And Andrew Holt couldn't make it, and Jimmy Pollock couldn't make it. I think that's about it. And from out of town, we had producer Jason. 
and he is one nymphine mofo. That's all I can say. So I sent out the email, Salmon River Gear Guide, and trying to get everyone together, probably in August of this year, and got some responses back, and I started putting the team together, started sending out packing lists of things that they should bring with them, and uh, if you can bear with me now, let's see what I suggested they bring from the 2012 Salmon River Steelhead Trip Gear Guide. Okay, rods, 6 to 8 weights, 9 foot to 13 foot, bring extras, will probably break at least 3. Reels, large arbor is good. You don't need a lot of backing. If the fish runs that far, you will break it off anyway. Fly line, something bright to see, to set it apart from the person above and below you and across from you. It's all roll casting. Leader, 8 to 10 pound fluoro, tippet, weight, BBs, Bs, and 3-0 split shots. Flies. Pheasant tails, hares ears, sucker spawns, glow bugs, egg sucking leeches, helgramites, crystal meths, rooster stoneflies, crystal buggers, zonkers, spay flies, and estaz flies. Fishing gear. I suggested everyone bring waders with cleated boots, layers that they can shed if it gets warm, windproof winter hats to cover ears, a neck gaiter, fingertipless gloves, and I suggest for you locals. Besides going to Dollar Tree, they have some nice ones there, and they are $1. Ranger Surplus at Tyson's Corner sells a nice pair of wolf finger tipless gloves. Uh, you know this from my uh, previous podcast, and I'm also going to tell you to get the Patagonia Windstopper. I'm not going to tell you to get the Orvis Barber wool ones. I don't like the new models. I suggested polarized glasses. I purchased a pair of Sunrise Costa Del Mar 580Ps for the trip, and I am highly pleased with that purchase. A flask, a headlamp, toilet paper, raincoats, and I said plural because if it gets really wet, it ain't going to dry by the next morning. And a big arse net, big enough to catch crazy people that got loose from the loony bin. For the campsite, I suggested tents, a tarp and rope, a camp stove, a cooler, a table, more toilet paper, hatches, saws, axes, wellies or rubber boots for camp because it's always wet up there, a camp chair, a table. I wrote there's a grocery store in town that we can get provisions. Remember, beer costs more up there due to deposits. For fly time materials, I suggested you can get anything you need up in Pulaski. Be prepared to have to tie the hot fly of the day when you get back at camp. Bring a vice, bobbins, thread, hooks. Pack materials to tie variations of the flies above. Pack while table is good for tying back at camp. I support in order Melinda's, All Season Sports, and Whitaker's. What to expect? The river is a tributary of the Great Lakes. The weather there is unpredictable. It could snow, it could be sunny, it could rain all within the same hour. In the past 11 years, I've gone up... It's always cold and rainy. Everything will get wet. There's always a cold breeze coming down the river. I usually eat lunch on the river, ramen, cup of noodles, etc. I bring a camp stove to the water. There will be no keeping of steelhead or brown trout. No questions asked. If you harm a steelhead, Joe will blacklist you. And be sure to joke with Joe about how delicious steelhead are and that you had one for dinner the night before. And I listed a bunch of websites and uh, the campsites, which I am not going to tell you about where they are because those are ours and we decided to leave on the 25th of october the boys being uh, trenton dalt and khalil drove up on wednesday night at five and i had everybody switch on the find my friends app on their iphones 
And I could see that at like 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. They were by the yellow breaches outside Gettysburg, PA. And then 10 p.m. They were like Wilkes-Barre. And I went to bed. And when I woke up, they were somewhere off the road near the lower reservoir sleeping. And since there's really no reception up there, we couldn't find where they were during the day. Rebecca and I left about 7 a.m. I picked her up at about 0800. She lives three miles down the street. It was a fairly uneventful drive. My regular stop is going to be at the Wilkes-Barre in Sheets. I wanted to go to the 901 pub, but we didn't get a chance to do that. And I suggested, uh, subjected Rebecca to all of my music and she wanted to listen listen to fishing podcasts, but I opted more for the Mike O'Mara Show podcast, which she referred to as weird. Hopefully, she's going to get into that podcast, and so should you, because it's just some funny daily events and and pop culture that is recorded daily, and I can't drive in traffic without listening to it. Can't remember anything else from the drive up. Um you know, there was there was a lot of roadkill to count, but we decided we were going to look for trucker bombs. If you don't know what trucker bombs are, those are the pee jugs on the, the side of the road. So we got very excited when we saw like the, the gallon jugs because that's like a two for points. We pulled into Pulaski about three in the afternoon. There wasn't a whole lot of traffic, so 8 a.m. to 3 is 8, 9, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, three. about seven-hour drive from the Washington, D.C. area. Beautiful weather. It was sunny. Made our first stop at All Season Sports to get a fishing license and stock up on fly time material. All Seasons just has a ridiculous amount of fly time material. I did my usual, I'm going to purchase all of your peacock, I'm not peacock, ostrich, chartreuse ostrich. I'm going to clean you out of that if you're a fly shop. And I got some trout beads to tie on as bead flies, and I got some... Estaz and some zonkers and some other stuff to tie up some fuchsia or Charisse streamers. From there, we headed into town and we decided to fish the clam shed section behind our friend Eric's house. We strung up our rods and ooh, we also stopped into that crazy lady store. Um, Yankee fly and angler tackle, whatever her name is, the crazy lady. And I was a little disappointed. There wasn't a whole lot in that store. It looked like the general store that's in Hartzell, Colorado. You know, like six Snickers bar, four Cokes, and and like a pack of hooks. There wasn't a whole lot there. This is a lady that charges you like several hundred dollars a day to fish in her backyard in town and will run you off with like a rusty rake to give you tetanus if she scratches you if you try and cross her property. From there, we set up our waders, got in, and um, started swinging flies. The river was 300 or 350 CFS. That is cubic feet per second. So it was pretty low, and you could just smell the rotting salmon. We didn't get anything in the, the first top couple holes. So we moved down a bit into some deeper water, and we made what I'm going to call now a fatal mistake. The guy just upriver from Davenport hooked into a steelhead and offered her to land it. And she's like, no, no, I'm not doing that. That's your fish. And I was like, oh, we're going to catch loads of steelhead. Just just get your, you know, learn how to fight one on a fly rod. And she took the, the uh, you know, the rod and it was strung up with mono, not fly line, and a ton of split shot and some little black and red nymph fly. And she fought the fish in and she landed it. And we got a bunch of pictures and 
And that was fun. And then we were just like, all right, well, Melinda's is closing in like 15 minutes. We got to hightail it up into Altmar because I needed to get my repair kit for my Corker's boots that I had called about a couple of days before, which is either in the next podcast or the previous podcast. This one's sandwiched in between the fishing stories that were requested by Nick, who sent me a very nice email that he listened to the first one and and was agree that those weren't the type of fishing stories. He was hoping more for um, I was stripping uh, a foam mouse across a hole on the South Platte River and had a uh, like 18-inch brown come up and slam it. Those kind of stories. But I told more random ones, which are still in the podcast I am finishing up for later this week. So we went to Melinda's, got some fly tie material, and then decided, uh, let's go make camp because it's like 5 o'clock. So we're driving down the roads to our campsite that we've been camping at for over a decade now. And we happen to spot a pile of firewood that's cut on the side of the road. Not split, but cut. And there's no sign that says, like, wood for sale. I think it was just, like, New York road crew just cut a tree down. So we filled up the car, and I made Rebecca sit on a bunch of stumps and had stumps on her lap. And as we're going towards the campsite, the boys pass us in their car and pull a Yui, and we all go to camp together. And I show them where the campsite is, and we get out, and we set everything up, and I get the tarp up over my tent because I know it's always going to rain. And, and Trent and Dalton got their tent up. And Davenport, she's got hers. And Khalil's got his. And then the boys go to town to get beer while we set up uh, a nice campfire. And I didn't want to use matches, but I was working on my um, survival tools I got from the Outdoor Podcast and from the farmer's market out in Portland, Oregon, where you, you use a piece of metal to scrape magnesium strips onto a piece of like rounded bark and then ignite them with the magnesium strip or strike and then get the fire going. But Khalil said I was taking too long. So he came up with a butane cigar lighter and just torched the whole thing. So we got a nice fire going through in the logs and um, I had camping food for dinner. They went out and got hot dogs and of course there was no hot dog spikes. So they, uh, they cooked them on a hanger, which was nice MacGyverism I don't know what time we went to bed, but uh, we were in bed pretty early because the next day we got up and we fished the upper fly stretch, the section where Joe had told us to go. And we went to the top section known as the wire. And apparently the river had jumped to 900 CFS overnight. So where the boys were fishing yesterday was completely underwater. So we started swinging flies through there. It, for me, it was too deep for wade fishing. Uh, don't like having to stand waist to belly button deep in fast cold water, especially when there's trees overhead. I'm fishing a switch rod. Oh, speaking of switch rods, we put our rods in when we went to Melinda's and somehow Davenport's leader didn't get all the way wound up on her rod and somehow it got caught on something the fly did and it broke her rod tip. So that's the first breakage of the trip was on uh, Thursday night. So this is still Friday morning. Now we're, we're fishing there. Uh, I hook and land a domestic rainbow. I wouldn't really say I landed him. I got it to my hand and I dropped it before, you know, I could like take a picture or anything. And that was on an egg pattern. And then we fish for a couple hours. Uh, nothing. We're moving up and down the upper fly stretch to uh, the rock outcroppings and, and no one's really catching anything. Apparently the day before, Trent caught like a six-pound smallie. But uh, other than that rainbow, no one's hooking fish. So we go back into Altmar. Apparently the boys yesterday had these bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches that 
this little sandwich shop in Altmar. And I've never even been in that place. I've walked past it a hundred times. So they were, were pretty obsessed with getting a bunch of those. So while they sat in there eating their sandwiches, I was tying flies in the parking lot, cranked out a whole bunch of uh, egg patterns and bead patterns. We wanted to go downstream and, and hopefully fish close to where the steelhead were. Because when Rebecca and I were in town on Thursday, and we saw a whole lot of steelhead landed. And that guy who um, gave Rebecca the fish, he was like, oh, we'll release that one. I'll just keep the one steelhead on my stringer. And she looked at me like, oh, man, this guy's a steelhead killer. Which to me, I mean, seeing a steelhead on a stringer is just wrong. That That's just like, I don't know, maybe seeing a bald eagle on a stringer. I just don't get it. Uh, salmon, I'm fine with, but for some reason, steelhead, you know, they're like the bread and butter. They're the epitome of most of fly fishing. And to see them being terminated for the, the dinner plate um, just doesn't jive with me. Don't like it a whole lot. So we, we go down to the, what is it, the 2A bridge, uh, whatever the one is above Pineville. And we park and we walk all the way up to the refrigerator pool. Long bend in the river, nice deep, riffly stretch. It's a steelhead producing spot. I've caught some browns in there before too. And we get there and there's like four dudes from Maine just camped out, just drinking beer. We're like, dudes, what's up? And they're like, no fish biting. So all of us took turns, um, the five of us. And at some point, uh, so the five of us, my group and and the main group, everyone's taking turns. Uh, the boys and, and they're all drinking bourbon and beer. We're smoking cigars, you know, throwing everything, every pattern you can imagine, and we're just not getting any bites. At some point, Davenport um, breaks a rod tip. So the night before, when we broke her 11-foot, 8-weight access, I said, well, the 10-foot, 8-weight access, the female ferrule is the same exact diameter. It is a perfect fit. It's about 2.5 inches shorter. But it should work. So we put that on her rod, and at some point, I think a split shot flew back and broke her rod. Uh, split shot also broke Khalil's rod. So now we're three rods down, and not to mention I had an eight weight that was strung up in my car from striper fishing that somehow somebody broke. Um, could have been me. could have been someone else closing the, the back window of the car. So that's four rods broken on this trip. Just one of those trips. So... The guy from Maine somehow worked. I'm fishing the whole time. I missed this story. He works in a beer distribution center. I don't know why that mattered, but he took cut one of his beer cans open, had packing tape from the distribution center, wrapped the rod with the aluminum and packing tape, and Rebecca fished for the rest of the afternoon. At some point, we all just decided we're getting skunked here. Everyone's out of beer and bourbon, so we're going to hike back to the car. Now, the hike was pretty cool. There's all sorts of really cool plants on that trail. There's a lot of equisetum growing. There's a lot of uh, running cedar, which are just cool, old, primitive plants. I guess old and primitive is rather redundant. And those guys are like, let's go fish the upper fly stretch So we or fish Altmar. So we start driving back up there and get a phone call that Joe is finally in town. Now, I thought Joe, riverruntroutfitters.com, was in town with clients all weekend, but he wasn't. So he made the drive in from somewhere around Albany. And we went with Joe. We fished the upper fly stretch again at his spot. And he was showing Khalil and Rebecca how to, to rig up leaders and how to swing. And just the, the more of the guide from New York's perspective on fishing than 
what they're used to, which is swinging for stripers and bluegill and largemouth around here on the tidal section of the Potomac. And it's getting dark, and I don't remember what happened, but I decided to go back to my car and text Jason that we were at the upper fly parking, and I get no reception, but apparently he texted back that he was like 20 minutes away. So I'm sitting there. I'm like cleaning the car out because after two days, there was just gear, and it's just crap everywhere. So I'm hanging out with people in the parking lot. Apparently, the word on the street is nobody caught steelhead that day. Talked to four or five different cars of, of anglers, so probably 15 to 20 people. Nobody caught a fish. You got people from Vermont, from Maine, from Boston. There are people from Harrisburg and from Hershey. And the consensus was no fish were caught. And as it's getting dark, Joe and the rest of the kids show up. And Joe wants to hit up Ponderosa for seafood night. And can't imagine what seafood night is like at Ponderosa, considering everything there is frozen somewhere else and just heated up uh jason gets there and jason and i decide we're gonna go back to camp get him set up and stop in to find my friend who lives out that way part of the year and um just say hi to him and see what's going on so they all go to ponderosa jason and i go to my friend's house which is about half a mile from our campsite and we go back there and you know, one thing on this trip was I wanted to get a bunch of people interviewed. I wanted to get Melinda. I wanted to get people at Whitaker's. I wanted to get our, my friend. I wanted to get Joe. No one really seemed like they wanted to do any podcasting. I don't know what it is about the microphone, but maybe it just scares people. So we go to our friend's house, and it's you know several hundred yards down this bulldoze-made dirt road that's just tree-lined. There's no electricity. We drive up to the cabin, and... He comes out with flashlights and says, you know, guys, come on in. And Jason and I go in, and you can smell how fresh the wood is. This thing is only a couple months old. He's owned the property for 30 years and finally just decided to start building. There's no electricity. It's heated by a wood stove. It was framed by Mennonites, and he's been doing the rest, filling it in. He had somebody come in and insulate the ceiling. And... The only sound you can hear besides the Coleman Lantern is the creek behind him. Now, that creek is a tributary of the Salmon River, and he owns a ton of that property. As we're talking, you know, everyone's at Ponderosa eating God knows what. We're talking fish. He has access to New York's largest wild steelhead reproduction colony in all of New York. So the fish go up the Salmon River, the steelhead, and then they enter his section of the creek, which is full of log jams and gravel. And he has, I mean, he, I don't remember the number. He said there were like 60 steelhead the other day, just out there getting ready to, you know, win, winter over for the spawn. He said there were like 60 to 80 cohos that he counted. It's one of the biggest coho um, spawning areas and rarely gets kings, but he also gets browns up there. There's domestic rainbows and stock brook trout or wild brook trout i can't remember and he basically just gets to walk up and down this property and the whole time we're talking about this you know jason and i are absolutely drooling the fact that he lives out in the woods like this no electricity just totally off the grid Um, you look outside and it's just stars he shot a grouse in his yard the other day it's um truly living off the grid so after about an hour hanging out there and he shows us this way to rig a leader where you have uh, about three feet of 
mono, and then you tie an indicator, and then straight down from the indicator is your leader and tipping material. So when you throw your fly in, it sinks automatically. There's no swing. Jason and I are probably going to keep that a secret from you for now, and we're going to keep trying that out over the winter. So Jason and I then leave our friend and go back to camp and set up things for the evening and wait for everyone to come back from Ponderosa. So now we've got one full day on the river and no fish landed. I don't even think we hooked even a steelhead the entire Friday. So Joe's in town. He drives back with Ponderosa. He sleeps in his car. He's got his dog with him. And everyone's sitting around drinking wine and bourbon and microbrews and cheap beers. And of course, I have a client who makes me moonshine, specifically apple pie. So I brought about three quarters of a gallon. That stuff got consumed pretty fast. Apparently, it's not as strong as everyone would like. So I'm going to have to ask him to make the next one a little bit stronger. From there, everyone went to bed. Joe had his alarm set for like 5 a.m. on Saturday. And I think all of us heard it, but nobody wanted to get up. So we all just let Joe sleep through it. We um, got up probably 7 or 8-ish and um, headed to the upper fly stretch. Joe was somewhere else. I'm trying to remember now. Where was Joe? Joe, maybe he went into town to do something. I don't remember. But we all headed in, and we went straight down to the bottom peninsula uh, the, where you know we were had camp set up, and there's rocks to sit on, and we're all having a good time. And as soon as we get there, the guy next to us hooks into a nice chromie, and we use the catch and release net, which turns out to be too small. We land as fish. So there's one fish landed. And we all spread out, and Trent and Dalton go downstream, and Jason goes a little bit further into the fast riffles. I'm more with uh, the slower water with Khalil and Rebecca. And it wasn't too long that I hooked into a steelhead and lost it. And then I hook into another one, and it breaks my 10-pound leader. So at least I'm hooking some fish. And then, I don't know the time frame, but I look down, and Jason is into a fish. And I'm not talking like a little steelhead. I'm talking his rod is pumping and bending and peeling line off. He's got a 10-foot-8 weight he's throwing at the time, and he's in the rapids, and we all just kind of pause and just watch that fish go back to Lake Ontario. That fish was so big and so strong and moving so fast, I didn't even bother picking up the net and walking down there. It's the kind of fish that you just know is not going to be landed, and of course, it threw the hook, and Jason didn't land it. And we end up fishing there for several more hours until lunchtime. Everyone's cold. The front's starting to move in. It's cloudy. We're all bundled up. Uh, you know, Everyone's taking breaks, taking naps on the shore. So we decide, pack it up, and we are going to go into Pulaski, grab some lunch, and head to a section that our friend at his cabin had told us about the night before. At some point during this day, I was taking pictures with my Nikon DSLR, and I had it in my Sim shoulder bag, and I was taking it in and out of the pouch while we were walking up and down the stream on the trails. Apparently, I didn't zip the pouch at all. So when I went to fish, I guess this was before lunch, I put my camera bag down in my Sims bag with all my gear in it, and my Nikon DSLR bounced out. It just happened to be at the right spot at the wrong time, and it rolled down this little V-shaped embankment right into the Salmon River completely got submerged so i was back in my car drying the camera 
I think this was on Saturday. I can't remember because, frankly, everything is kind of a blur when you're out camping for you know three or four days and you get up at dawn and you head back to camp at dark. So it must have been before lunch because as we're driving to town, through town, the, the lunch spots and everything to go fishing afterwards, I've got my camera on the dashboard blasting hot air to dry everything out. So there's not going to be a whole lot of photographs from my end from this trip. We'll see what Rebecca got. I got a couple with my point and shoot the next day, but you know it's going to be pretty spotty if and when you go over to the blog, which is flyfishingconsultant.blogspot.com. So we go to Arby's for lunch, and I get a big old sandwich and some fries. Of course, you know, curly season fries as an option means I'm upgrading to the biggest size they could. And I got some onion rings and a, a cold beverage, and we all ate and had a good laugh about things in there. And while we were in there, we started watching the coverage of Hurricane Sandy moving up the East Coast. It was off the coast of Florida at this point, or moving north a little bit. So it was um, starting to become evident that it was going to come up the East Coast. And as today, it's four days after the hurricane, we all know what happened. So we're watching, and they're saying that they're going to start closing New York's transit system early on Monday morning. So we start thinking, hey, this storm's going to be a little big. We need to pay more attention to it when we can get phone service, and we're going to have to call the trip short. And I called my wife and said, hey, are you prepared for the hurricane in case I don't get back in time? She's said the reaction of what hurricane over the phone. So I was like, well, maybe I do need to go home because I've got all the stoves and you know, extra water tanks and other basically survival gear in case we lost power in Virginia and needed to eat dehydrated meals and use the camp stoves and have spare water reserves. So that was another thing to play with. After we have the huge lunch, we decide to go to the spot that Larry suggested to us, which was south of Interstate 81. And he had drawn a rudimentary map the night before I guess I just gave his name out. Um, so we went and parked somewhere around the ice skating rink. We found that out because uh, Zamboni must have dumped snow out that morning because there was piles of snowy ice on the ground. And we started fishing the pocket water and really weren't finding much. And I decided to head downstream as I'd recognized the spot as uh, being across from the clam shed hole, which had a nice sandy, rocky, gravelly beach. So I get down to the beach and I start fishing while everyone else is still upstream. And I set up camp, got the net leaning up against a tree, the rods. I start throwing bead eggs and sucker spawns and crystal meths and egg sucking stoneflies, egg sucking leeches, popsicles, pheasant tails, estaz flies, estaz stoneflies, uh, my squirmy rubbery worm. I think I pretty much threw everything that was in my fly box. And before everyone got down there, I got one. I must have been right when Trent showed up. I got one massive slam from a steelhead as I was swinging a yellowish crystal meth with, uh, I mean, we call it spooge, kind of like an egg veil on the side of it. And that was about my only touch of a fish the entire afternoon. It was a massive, massive tug, the kind where 
you're daydreaming as you're swinging and swinging and roll casting and roll casting. And out of nowhere, just boom, some massive fish just slams it. And by the time you kind of figure out what's going on, that fish is tugging. You try to set the hook. It's off. And the other side of the hole, there were like 15 kayakers banging boats around and and just hooting and hollering. And I don't know if that had any effect on the hole, but by then Khalil and Davenport and Trent and Dalton and Jason had come down. And there's one thing, Jason, I'm going to make you blush. If you've never seen Jason nymph fish, the man is a beast. I think the term was he's a high sticking mofo. Jason, with a pretty heavy 10-foot-8 weight, I mean, he'd be doing this all day, but it was more prevalent here, was high-sticking an indicator and fly through these riffles and runs with his right arm completely extended. Now, if I had done that for more than 30 seconds, my arm would have completely gone numb. I have trouble just tying a bow tie without my arms like getting all tingly, like I'm having a heart attack or something. Jason was able, this is producer Jason, by the way, Freestone Media, was able to do this the entire day. It was insane. Like, granted, he that's probably why he hooked into the two monster steelhead in the morning. It's because he was getting the perfect drift, drag free drift of high sticking that 10 foot rod, being that he's about six feet tall and he's got a long arm. His rod was perfectly positioned to get that fly through the hole. For some reason, though, the fish just weren't really biting. We can go and blame you know the low pressure coming in. It could have been the jump of the river from 300 to 900. It could have been the kayakers. Who knows? But we all decided to pack it up, pack it in, and let us begin our dinner rush over to, um, where did we go? Stefano's Pizza Joint, probably about 5.30 or 6 p.m. So we pulled into Stefano's, and apparently Joe's cell phone had died, so he never got the text messages that we were heading over there. And I forgot to mention that Joe's dog bit me. When I went to tell him we were going into town, he was still in the upper fly earlier before lunch, and his dog bit me. So I was prepared to you know, call up Patagonia and be like, what's your um, warranty on Chesapeake Bay Retrievers biting you in the calf? But luckily, they never, they never uh, leaked on me. But Joe, he said his dog is like 50 first dates, that she forgets you, you know, five minutes after she meets you. So that was uh, an interesting event with the dog biting me. So we, we head to Stefano's and we get one giant large pepperoni pizza. And we also get one giant Sicilian with pepperoni and all drinking uh, lots of ice water because I guess everyone had been boozing all day and needed to hydrate. Stefano's was nice and empty. I honestly thought that we were going to have to wait in line for some pizza pies and it was awesome. You know, the worst New York pizza is going to be better than anything in Washington, D.C. you're ever going to find. So I was pretty ecstatic to have this. If I had told you about my trip to Brooklyn, maybe that was just in the blog, I got some pretty bad pizza in Brooklyn about two months ago. So I was very happy to get this delicious, delicious za, as the kids would say. So from there, we head back to camp, and the kids polish off all the moonshine and beer and uh, I don't know what time I went to bed, but I think we agreed not to get up too early. It was Sunday. We figure most people are going to be headed back home because of the hurricane. At this point on Sunday morning, the hurricane is off of the Carolinas and moving north. And 
it is going to go straight up, cut across Maryland, and then it's going to head straight up to Wilkes-Barre and then sort of up to the Pulaski area. So the kids, Dalton, Trent, and Khalil pack up and they're going to drive home. They've been up since uh, Thursday. They've got work in the morning. And uh, Rebecca and I had taken off until Tuesday. And Jason was going to leave Monday afternoon. So the plan was going to be fish late Sunday afternoon when everyone goes home. And then we'll have the river to ourselves on Monday. So we get up and we head to the upper fly zone with Joe while the kids are packing up and headed home. And we're there and we've pretty much got the top section ourselves and we're swinging flies and we see one guy hook some moldy, nasty old mud shark. That's a term for salmon in those necks of the woods. And nothing's really going on. And Joe's convinced there's browns in there because we'd seen some browns the other day. But I'm like, Joe, you know, honestly, man, we're fishing our butts off and it's getting cold and windy and there's nothing up here. We're going to uh, move down. So Jason and I head downstream to where he'd hooked those fish the day before. And Rebecca is going to stay up top with Joe. As we're headed down, we uh, passed this one dude who had a crazy custom rod. I'd never seen a core grip that was hexagon shaped. And he had one of those big reels. I don't know if it's the brand, but you see them in the fishing magazines, Peerless. Those big Atlantic salmon reels with the silver handle and they're black. It was huge. His rig looked super expensive. And he wasn't catching anything. So we can move on down. We get to our, our point. As soon as we get there, a guy's hooked into a steelhead. We're like, all right, fish are here. Text Joe and say, Fisher down here, y'all should come down. But apparently he never got that. I don't know if his phone was still dead. We fished there for probably an hour and we're swinging. Same flies I mentioned before and we're not hooking into anything. So we decide, um, let's go back to the car. Let's get something to eat and let's move back down into town. And uh, let's go check out Whitaker's and see if we can convince them to maybe do a podcast. So we leave Joe. He decides it's time for him to head back to his house and start battening down the hatches, as they say nautically. I don't even know what battening means, but you do it to a hatch when it starts to storm. So we give Joe some big hugs and take some pictures, and he heads back. We go to Drex, J-R-E-C-K-S, which is a sub shop. Uh, first, we went to, I guess, Whitaker's, and, and they weren't too keen on doing a podcast, but they said they would do it if we came back. Maybe that was the day before that we did it on the way to Arby's. I don't remember. But we're at Drex, and we're cold. So I get a hot steak and cheese sub to counteract the cold, but I make the mistake of getting a, a big old cold Dr. Pepper. So I was pretty frigid when we left, and you know we're closer to the lake, and the wind's picking up, and it just looked like it's going to snow. So we start layering up. We got our net gaiters on. Of course, I'm wearing my Sitka uh, Optifade digital camo. I got the down jacket on. I've got you know my Irish or Scottish wool fishing sweater on. Got my Patagonia Nano Puff pants with a base layer underneath. I mean, it's getting cold. We start breaking out the fingertipless gloves, and we head down to the town pool and fish where Rebecca had landed that dude's fish the day before. As soon as we get there, there's a dead steelhead right in the water where we walk in. So that was a little disappointing. And we swing and swing, and then there's these Russian dudes fishing in the hole above Rebecca. And at some point, they give her a flask, and she starts drinking. And I would have tried to figure out what they were saying, because I speak a little broken Russian, but not a whole lot. I know the bad words. And then there's two other Russian dudes that come in between me and Jason, and he is still high-sticking like crazy. And we're not getting anything. We move up and down, and 
I'm seeing the seagull that's got the crankbait stuck to it still flying over. I'd seen that the day before across from the clamshed. At some point, it's probably two in the afternoon. We're like, screw it. Let's go fish the upper fly and then head back to camp. But we want to fish the back end of the upper fly. People have been telling me about that for years. I've seen people on the other side. There's more open room to cast. You're, you got more beach sections to land fish. And we pull into Altmar and we start trying to figure out how to get there. There's no trespassing signs. So we walk on the farthest outside of the cornfields to the woods. And then somehow we figured out how to get to the river and then to cross a creek and get to the main stem of the river. Probably on Jason's third cast, he hooks into a steelhead. Like he's just getting ready to lift his rod to do another roll, which tells you that it's the swing of the fly going up. That's why the steelhead hit. And it was just to the right of a rock. So right in that little seam pocket that the rock produces. And that fish slammed it. Before we knew it, it, it flipped twice and it was off. We probably fished until 545. Um I kind of quit after a while. I just sat on a rock exhausted and I'd hoped to just go back to camp and get up first thing, fish for an hour or two and then head home back to DC. And Rebecca's downstream with Jason. I'm just kind of camped out on a rock. They both hook into fish and they each hook one and lose one. Uh, Jason was using a Patuxent river special, which is a DC area fly I'd given him. It looks like sort of a golden colored woolly bugger with the hackle reversed. It's the Patuxent River Special. I forget the guy who invented it, but it's local to here. And I had a bunch. I don't fish other people's flies. I'm not going to tell you my dirty analogy, which I told everyone at camp. But the other analogy is like, it's like wearing someone else's bathing suit. It's just something I'm not going to do. So I had some other flies that people have tied. So I gave those to Jason. So I'd here, have some DC style flies. And we start hiking out. I'm like, we need to hightail out here. We need to get back to the car before dark. And on our way back, you know, we're cutting through these cornfields and we're like, you know what? Let's just go back to camp. Let's pack up and head home. We don't, this weather looks pretty bad. That's coming in here. They're calling for 50 mile, hour, 50 mile per hour winds, fallen trees. And out at our campsite, I did not want a tree to fall down on my tent with me in it on someone else's tent or especially to block some way that, to get in and out because we only had machetes and camp saws. So we decided we got back to camp at 6.30. We had camp broken by 7 and the cars packed in the dark, change into some shoes, get out of our waders. Everything's wet and the tarps are wet. The waders are wet. Um, Just the car. I mean, as soon as we get in, the windows all start fogging up and we start hightailing it out. We learn that we're uh, closer to 81 than we thought. So we take a back way to 81 and about 7.15, we are on the road. GPS puts us in at 2.45 a.m. And after fishing for an entire day, you know, I was pretty beat. I wasn't looking forward to driving. Davenport said she would share with me. And I'm like, sweet, you know, we're going to drive. We'll listen to my Mike Amara Show podcast. But, of course, not having wireless anywhere, I couldn't really download it off the network. So I had no new Mike Amara Shows. We start off with Itinerant Angler. And we listened to the Scott Sanchez interview which on the one fly in Jackson, which was a pretty cool story. And I was supposed to move to Jackson. Um, I don't know if my wife can hear me, but Rebecca wanted to know why my wife, at the time girlfriend, didn't want to move there with me. Ma'am, how come you didn't want to move to Jackson when I got that job offer 11 years ago? I don't think that's an option. No. Well, we could, you could have done it. She said it wasn't really an option. 
So we listened to that. We listened to a bunch of Orvis podcasts with Tom Rosenbauer. And then I started having to crank out some music because it's becoming like 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. And we stop at Wilkes-Barre for sheets, get a nice big sandwich and a bucket of fries. And I think Davenport commented that the car smelled like fry burps on the way back because definitely had some French fry burps. And the fog outside of Syracuse, I'll post some pictures from the iPhone. The cars were just driving in a straight line in the right lane, maybe 50 miles an hour. And it was a bunch of utility and electrical trucks with like cherry picker bucket loaders on top. So they're already prepping for power outages in the area or they're moving south. I'm not sure, but you can definitely tell the storm is coming. It started getting super windy around Hershey, PA. The car was blowing to the left. It was blowing to the right. And the rains were starting. It's like 1 a.m. now. I'm just beat. I'm like, you know what? We're close enough. I'll just drive through. There's no traffic on a Sunday night before a hurricane strikes. And I drop Rebecca off at about 2 in the morning. I'm hoping I didn't get a, a ticket for running a red light at that point in in uh, Bailey's Crossroads, you know, at two in the morning, I didn't see a flash go off, but the rains had already started. The roads were covered in wet leaves, and there was no way I was going to stop for a red light at two in the morning with no cars around at that speed, which is only like 30 or 40 miles an hour. So hopefully there's no ticket. Dropped Rebecca off. She got all her gear out of the car, and I woke up. I slept on the couch because I hadn't showered since Thursday morning, so I didn't want to discuss the wipe. I slept on the couch after I took Dr. Jones out. And got up and um, the hurricane started. So you all know the aftermath of that. We sat here and waited out the storm. Only lost power a couple times. The building was shaking. Our friends in Australia were checking in to see how the cyclone was doing, as they call it down there. And, you know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't the best fishing trip, but everyone learned a lot. I think Jessica, Jason and Rebecca, I was combining their names there. Um, both are definitely going to go back. I think Khalil definitely wants to do a trip back again. Now that they know the river, they know the campsite, they know the fly shops, they know the places to eat, and they know how to get there. And I'm definitely never going to let anybody take a steelhead that someone else hooked. I'm not a superstitious guy, but I definitely think that was just some sort of bad juju, bad judgment on my end. I think that may have completely uh, thrown us off our game. And I'm going to, you know, blame that for us not having landed a single steelhead, you know, six fly rods in the water for that many days, talking to other anglers, talking on uh, Twitter, Facebook, seeing reports on salmon crazy. It wasn't just us, but at least somebody should have landed something. And my car still has not been unpacked. It's been cold. It's been raining. It's been windy. I just haven't gotten around to going to my car and getting the gear out. I've pretty much dried out the Nikon DSLR. So I'm going to try and turn that on in a couple of days. It's sitting on top of the heater vent in our house with the 68 degree air blowing on it. All the fogginess is gone from the lenses. It's gone from the, uh, the viewfinders and everything. So let's hope I'm not out $700, the broken camera. And I think that sums it up for the postmortem of our salmon river trip, 2012, I'm definitely planning on doing the Chagrin River and the Ohio Tribs on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So that will be my next foray into steelhead. Right now, the next uh, big thing for me, I'm going to start working on getting some of my flies picked up by one of the major fly fishing 
distributors for flies. So we are going to be tying some flies and be putting a little more attention into them, doing a little more work on the wraps and making them nice and pretty. And hopefully you will see those at your local fly shop one day. That's sort of uh, the next step from guiding. I got clients this weekend. The river right now is still blown out, but we will hopefully find some fish this weekend. And who knows what we're going to find now that the river crested at 10 feet. It's normally three feet. That is it for this episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This podcast is produced by Jason Reef of Freestone Media. If you have any questions, you can reach me, www.robsnowwhite.com. The next two podcasts, I definitely think we're going to do one on Bluegill per request. And we're also going to do one on Mossy Creek. Thank you all for downloading. This has been Series 1, Episode 44. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.